Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. All right, today I want to preach on shining in the light. Shining in the light in the light from the epistle of 1 John. This is the message we have heard from Jesus and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment. The commandment is the word you have heard. Yet I am writing a new commandment that is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says, I am in the light, while hating a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light and in such a person there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates a brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know the way to go because the darkness has brought on blindness. God is light. God is the uncreated light. The eternal light that always has been. When God, who is the uncreated light, began to create, the first thing God created was light. Let there be light. It's difficult to find the right words to talk about God. And when we talk about God, we, we need to be careful and try to find the right words, but one of the best is light. Without light, there is no life. And in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness does not overcome it. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. John the Elder, now an old man writing his letter from Ephesus toward the end of the first century, tells us that this is the message we have heard from Jesus. And of course he would know. He was with Jesus. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. What God is God is purely that. God is one. God is not divided. God is one. That's, that's the end of the gospel reading that we heard this morning. Jesus saying the Father and I are one. And God is one. And God is light. And God is, what other word can you think to put in there? Love. Love. God is light, 
God is love. God is pure light in whom there is no darkness. God is pure love in whom there is no hate, I suppose, would be the word. You just say, well, does God hate? Well, sort of, but not really. God hates evil, but evil is no thing. Evil is just a corruption of the good. Evil does not possess its own substance, its own existence. It doesn't belong to that which God has created. It is a marring of that which is good. So in one sense, God hates nothing. This is why John the Elder, the beloved disciple who leaned upon Jesus in the upper room at the Last Supper, at the end of his life is calling his disciples to the supremacy of love. When you get older, especially as you sense maybe you're coming to the end of your life and John may have been in his 90s, you may want to just talk about that which matters. And so John begins to talk to his disciples in Ephesus about the supremacy of love. And he tells them that this is no new commandment to love, to love God and to love neighbor. There's nothing new about that. In fact, we find that quite explicitly throughout what we call the Old Testament. Even in the days of John the Elder at the end of the first century, the command to love God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, that's an old command. That's been in the Bible for a long time, well over a thousand years when John the Elder was talking about it. And yet there is a newness to it. That's why he says, I'm, I'm giving you no new commandment, yet it is a new commandment because it's true in him. Because of the resurrection, there is a new vitality on this single commandment to love because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus taught and lived the way of love. And this is the one whom God raised from the dead. For all the things that the resurrection is, and as many things, one of them is it is the ultimate endorsement of the Father upon the life of his Son. And Jesus perfectly revealed to us the love of God all the way to the very end. And this is what God has endorsed in resurrection. In the resurrection of Jesus, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Anybody find any comfort in that? Those, that expression, the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. I believe that because of the resurrection. I mean, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is an inauguration of a new dawn that is the destiny for all that is, the restoration of all things. And so the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And we who believe in Jesus are to participate in his resurrection by shining in the light. That's, that's my title. That's my emphasis. That's, that's, it's not just a sermon title. It was actually as I was sitting with Jesus in prayer and contemplating what I should do next as far as ministering the word here at Word of Life. That's the, that's the phrase that came into my spirit, shining in the light. Shining in the light. 
We live in the dawn of resurrection. The darkness is passing away. Don't pass away into it. There's that which is coming, which is the light. There's that which is passing away, which is the darkness. Don't pass away into the darkness that is passing away. Now, how do we know if we are shining in the light or fading into the darkness? Well, we, we have to look within. We have to make an inventory. We have to take an inventory of what's in our heart. What's in your heart is what's most important. And it's hard to do it maybe to take this inventory all on your own. So ask the Holy Spirit to take an inventory of your heart. And maybe you pray like this and you say, Holy Spirit, is there light in my heart? Show me the light in my heart. But you might also pray, Holy Spirit, is there any darkness in my heart? Show me the darkness. Is there any darkness in my heart? By the help of the Holy Spirit, you take an inventory of your heart and find out what's in there. And what we want to find when we take the inventory of our heart, what we hope to find, what we need to find is love. Love. Especially toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the emphasis that John and Jesus give us. Now, we're to love the whole world, but I'm going to let you in on a secret. It's actually very easy to love the whole world. I love the whole world. How many of you love the I love the world. What's hard is specific people that you actually know can smell their breath or hear their politics. Those are the people that it's hard to love. Love in theory is easy. Love in actuality is not as easy. And we need grace and we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, mission trip love is easy. Get on an airplane, fly off to a foreign country, pretend you're a hero, love everybody. Bye, get on a plane and never see them again. That's not hard. What's hard is the day-to-day -day living with those that through no choice of your own, you are forced to call brother and sister in Christ and to love them. That's why the church is a laboratory for learning how to love well. Not theoretical love, but actual, real, lived love. This is why it's a blessing to have people in church who disagree with you. This is why it's a blessing to have people in church with whom you disagree because it gives you an opportunity to practice shining in the light, shining in the light, shining in the light. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fade into the dark. I'm going to keep shining in the light. The church is not a common interest club and it's not a political caucus where everybody has to agree. The church is a gathering of people around Jesus Christ confessing that he is Lord and that may be initially all we have in common, but it's where we start. And then we learn to love one another in the laboratory of love that is the church. I do believe that I, that I got a word from the Lord this week. Monday morning as I was sitting in prayer down in my basement in that hickory rocker just sitting with Jesus. And I, I felt like the spirit was saying, tell them to keep shining in the light. To shine in light is to 
to love. It's just to love. To love God, that's where we start. To love brothers and sisters. To let that love expand broader and broader until you can love all of creation. As Dostoevsky said, until you can love every leaf and every grain of sand. To shine in the light is to love. And the darkness is passing away, but, but the darkness is passing away in great rage. The darkness is not happy about it. The book of Revelation in chapter 12 describes it like this. The devil has come down to earth having great wrath because he knows his time is short. Time is not on his side. And so the darkness is passing away, but it's passing away with great rage. Now, in our current moment, are you aware of how many opportunities you have to hate? They are copiously supplied to you. Politicians, pundits, and even pastors will inform you on who you have to hate to be on God's side. You know, they speak authoritatively, authoritatively these pastors, pundits, and certain pastors who say, Got to be on God's side. You got to hate them, hate them, hate them. They're what's wrong with the world. Hate them. But you know what that is? That's just an invitation to join the dark side. That's just an invitation to go over to the dark side and you're no longer shining in the light. So I'm going to tell you about the, the war scroll. The war scroll. The decades just prior to the birth of Jesus Christ was a tumultuous time. It was a difficult time for the Jewish people, and it was a difficult time for much of the rest of the world. In the decades just prior to the birth of Jesus, the Roman Republic, it had been a republic, had become the Roman Empire under a series of of autocratic emperors beginning with Caesar Augustus. Rome was now exerting more and more control over Jerusalem. This foreign empire so far away was meddling with Hebrew faith in the holy city of Jerusalem. They were exerting more and more control over everything, including the temple. Now, those who resisted, because there were many who resisted, of course there would be. There would be many Jewish people and say, what's Rome got to do with how we worship God? And so there were many who resisted, and those who resisted, what happened? They were crushed. It happened periodically. Every few years, there would be some kind of revolt, sometimes large, sometimes small just right around, I mean, not long after Jesus was born, maybe when he was a young child, there was a, there was a revolt that broke out in Sepphoris, which is just like four miles from Nazareth, resulted in 
2,000 Galilean Jewish rebels being crucified. Oh yeah, Jesus grew up knowing about crucifixion. And then earlier in AD 6, or BC 63, 63 BC, um, the Roman general Pompey was coming into Rome and they were protesting. Well, it resulted in a massacre in the temple where 12,000 Jewish worshipers were slain. And then the Roman general Pompey went into the Holy of Holies and desecrated the place. So those that resisted were crushed. Those that cooperated, those that colluded with Rome, they were rewarded. And there were many who said, hmm, I know which way the wind blows. Better just line up with Rome. This was especially a true among the temple elite, the Sadducees, the chief priests, that whole bunch. And by cooperating with Rome, this temple aristocracy became very wealthy and very corrupt. So that the temple increasingly was just a symbol of Roman imperial might and uh, temple corruption. No longer felt like the house of God. And so there was a movement of people, a sectarian group that broke off and just said, well, we're done with this. And they moved out into the desert where they established a religious community and they said, we're gonna be the true people of God. You can have that stupid temple. It's too corrupt, it's beyond redemption. And they moved out on the shores of the Dead Sea, nestled up against some of those caves that are there at Qumran. They're identified with the Essenes, although scholarship isn't agreed with that, but we're not here to talk about that sort of thing. So there's a group of people that's just sort of like refounding the temple and preparing for the end. They're living a semi-monastic life, sectarian life, out in, the, out in the desert, out on the shores of the Dead Sea. And they were able to stay there until AD 73 when at the end of the first Jewish war, they too were either killed, captured, or just scattered to the four winds and the Qumran community was abandoned and stayed abandoned for a very long time. In 1946, there was this little Bedouin shepherd boy trying to round up his herd of goats and one of them had gone up into one of those caves up there just above Qumran. He's trying to get his goat out of there and he throws a rock into the cave to try to get the goat out. And he hears the sound of breaking pottery. You know what he had discovered? Some of you know. He had discovered what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. Almost a thousand manuscripts that had been hidden away since sometime probably, you know, prior to AD 73, they'd been hidden away in these pottery jars, all of these, almost a thousand papyrus and parchment manuscripts hidden away. They'd hoped to come back, but they never came back. But they were discovered and it was quite a sensation. 
other than the biblical text, because there was lots of biblical texts in there. In fact, I saw a little bit of the scroll of Isaiah when I was in uh, Jerusalem and back in March. Other than the biblical text, the most famous of the Dead Sea Scrolls is the War Scroll. The War, the war Scroll prophesies the War of Messiah. That's, what, that's the language they use, the War of Messiah. And it's an apocalyptic vision of the final battle that will involve a battle, a great war between the sons of light and the sons of darkness. I saw the sons of light and the sons of darkness on the border towns of despair. The sons of light and the sons of darkness. And then Messiah will come and lead the sons of light in a great battle, in a great war in which the bad guys, the evil guys, the embodiment of evil on earth, the sons of darkness are slain and thus evil is at last eradicated and this will be the war to end all wars. So the vision of the war scroll in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they're at the community at Qumran was that Messiah would lead the sons of light in a war against the sons of darkness and thereby destroy all evil. Jesus apparently was aware of the prophecy of the war scroll. It was probably known in certain religious communities. He probably knew about the war scroll and the prophesied war of Messiah and the sons of light because he does make reference to them. He does so during the final week when Jesus is there in Jerusalem. And for the first time, Jesus actually um, publicly announces that he will be crucified. Jesus had told his disciples three times that they would go to Jerusalem, he would be rejected, he would be condemned, and he would be killed. Doesn't tell them how he'll be killed. He told them that three times. It's not until they're in Jerusalem that Jesus actually says it's going to be by crucifixion. And he does so publicly just a few days before Good Friday when he says this, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. To, lift, to be lifted up from the earth was a polite euphemism for crucified because crucifixion was so abhorrent, people didn't even want to use the word. The crowd was stunned. They said, wait, 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 wait. We have heard that Messiah abides forever. The Messiah is going to come, lead us in the great war. The sons of light conquer the sons of darkness and Messiah's kingdom comes and now is eternal. So how, how, how are you talking about Messiah being lifted up? Here's what Jesus says in response to that. Because they are understandably scandalized, mortified that the idea that Messiah would be a crucified Messiah because all they can think is a crucified Messiah is a failed Messiah. Once again, the sons of darkness prevail. But what does Jesus say? The light is with you a little longer. While you have the light, Walk while you have the light so that the darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in darkness, you do not know where you are going. 
While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Well, there it is. Jesus is the light of the world. And Jesus shows us the way of becoming sons and daughters, children of the light, and shining in the light. And we become the children of the light, not by hating, not by fighting, certainly not by killing the sons of darkness, the evil people, the bad guys, but by remaining in the way of love. This is... The war of Messiah. It looks like that. How does Jesus overcome evil? He absorbs it into his being and forgives it all. And he says, and I, when I am lifted up in crucifixion, I will draw all people to myself. It's the attraction of love. Jesus doesn't persuade by the threat of violent force and going out there and killing the bad guys. He's lifted up. And we who aspire to shine in the light, to be the sons and daughters of light, need to make sure that our presence in the world looks like that. Forgiving, loving unconditionally. Offering the pardon and grace of God. Jesus saves the world by drawing all people to himself through the attraction of love. So keep on shining in the light, saints of God. I felt like that's what the Holy Spirit wanted me to say to you. And it's not just a generic sermon for any time. It's for right now. It's for right now. It's for right now. Because you're going to have lots of opportunities to hate. And you will be told by people who are skillful in rhetoric, politicians, pundits, and pastors, that unless you hate them, and it'll be various thems depending on what ones you're listening to, unless you hate them, you're not on the right side of God. This is a lie. This is an invitation to go over to the dark side. Don't do it. You can't show how much you love God by how hard you hate this was the mistake of Saul of Tarsus. He was absolutely convinced that he could show how much he loved God, how zealous he was for God by how hard he hated those heretics who dared to say that Jesus the crucified was the Messiah. And he remained in the darkness until on the road of Damascus, a light shone from heaven brighter than the sun. And said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He went, into the, he went into darkness for three days, and then he came out into the light. And lived the rest of his life shining in the light. So that the Apostle Paul could write things like this. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. He said, I thought I could prove to God my own righteousness by how zealous I was in fighting the people that are wrong. But I've come to learn the only thing that counts is faith working through love. Or I think 
David Bentley Hart gives us a more accurate translation. The only thing that counts is faithfulness made actual through love. Should have put that one up there for you. The only thing that counts is faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness to Jesus. The only thing that counts is faithfulness made actual in love. My good buddy Hans Urs von Balthasar, we're not really buddies, but we will be. He says love alone is credible. And I believe that. So we have to sit with Jesus and say, oh Lord, am I shining in the light or am I drifting into the darkness? What's in my heart? What's in my heart? Holy Spirit, help us take an inventory. Holy Spirit, help us to know what's in us. Holy Spirit, help us not to harbor darkness in our heart. May indeed the love of God be shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit given to us. Lord, may we be sons and daughters of light in how we love. The only thing that counts is faithfulness made actual in love. Help us. As the darkness is passing away, but passing away in a rage, help us to remain those that continue to shine in the light and attract people to the saving love of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Stand up with me. And let's get ready to come to the table of the Lord by doing two things. One, confessing our faith. And then two, confessing our sins and receiving forgiveness. Join with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for his mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little.
You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.